Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Vladimir Bautista. He is founder and CEO of Happy Monkey. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the work they do in cannabis and their relationship to the cannabis space and, and the, their goals and what they're trying to achieve and some of the great work they've been doing, really helping spread the word, getting cannabis out there, helping drive the industry, helping shape the industry. It's a dynamic world here in cannabis. So I'm always interested in people that are dealing with kind of the media and the activism and the social side of it. So curious to to learn more and find out what's going on. So with that, Vladimir, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I appreciate you. Vladimir Bautista, CEO and co-founder of Happy Monkey. So happy to be here with Bruce. I've been waiting for a while. This is an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Bruce. Yeah, well, it's my honor. And I know we've talked for a while and I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad we were able to make this work. And uh, yeah, I'm excited by it. So I, I mean, I know that a lot has been going on in cannabis in the world. We're recording this in sort of end of July. You know, we're a couple of months into this pandemic thing, obviously, that has reshaped a lot of the world in general, but also the, you know, the cannabis world. Let's kind of give background first. 
So let's learn a little bit more about you, about you know your relationship with cannabis, how you got into cannabis, about Happy Monkey, like what the intentions and the strategy was there, and then we can talk about some of the things that have been going on the last uh, you know couple months and and where your focus is and stuff. But give us the backstory. What what was your relationship to cannabis? How do you get into this? What was this all about? Well, Bruce, I've been into cannabis as a consumer for maybe like over to like 25 years now. Mm-hmm. You know, it always played a role in my life. And um, the big epiphany happened when my partner, co-founder and creator, uh, Ramon Reyes, took a trip to Amsterdam about four years ago. And uh, he's a little bit more of an introvert, not as much of an outgoing speaking person as myself. So he sat at at a few of the cafes over there and he really had a really touching experience where he got to consume and share cannabis with people from all over the world and really touched him and changed his perspective on things and then he knew I had a lot of knowledge and Mm -hmm. I've been in the music industry, always been around cannabis and he said I think we need to do similar style events here in New York City, and I looked at him like he was crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know what? Let's give it a try, right? We got everything to gain, nothing to lose. And uh-huh. we gave it a try, Bruce, and things went zero to a thousand very, fairly quickly. Yeah. And then it's, it started with that, and then we started, you know, really doing our due diligence in the corporate cannabis industry because we kind of knew the culture already in yeah. the regulation market. We started going to conferences, and then what we re- came to realize was that even though New York City is the highest consuming city on the planet, mm-hmm. we have the least media presence on the planet when it came to cannabis. So basically the world world had no idea how the culture, the lifestyle and the corporate of New York and the Northeast really happened. So then that was our next mission, which we are on the mission to accomplish now was to give the world the bird's eye view of the cannabis culture and corporate in the Northeast. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the fun things or one of the things that makes cannabis so fascinating is because it it has such a a rich sort of multifaceted, you know, sometimes sort of controversial or complicated relationship from a social kind of political side. I mean, I guess what's your, what's your kind of explanation or take on cannabis culture over the last, I mean, you know, you, you were kind of saying that the last 20, 25 years here, but how, from, from your point of view, how have things changed, developed? I mean, you know, what, what have been the big milestones or shifts that you've seen in cannabis culture over the the last couple of decades? Well, you know, what I've seen over the kind of couple of decades, I have to speak more, like I said, you know, here from an East Coast, Northeast yeah. perspective, because you know that California has like a 16-year high start on us in the West Coast, so we've always been well behind them. And what I've seen is in between the internet and the way that People over here on the side were able to access more information, you know, people like you, Bruce, that, uh, you know, give people information and help them understand it. Because I, I believe that the biggest issue is and has always been the lack of information and understanding that now society is really looking at it for what it is, which is medicine and something that is better for, you know, humanity as a whole. And I feel like 
now people are finally starting to get it, especially here in the East Coast and in the Northeast. Like, the stigmas are falling away at a rapid rate compared to, you know, like we said, like 15, 20 years ago, like any corporate setting, cannabis was looked down upon as far as like you're a lazy stoner or something. But yeah, exactly, yeah. I think people uh, have definitely evolved when it comes to the understanding of it. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that's um, it's such a you know hard part of developing the industry is that we are dealing with this kind of social stigma. What do you think changes that? I mean, is it just education? Is it just you know getting a different image out there? Is it just time? Like how how does change happen in this industry? Well, I think it starts with people like yourself, myself, and so many others because um to answer your question truly, I you know I'm I'm not too religious, Bruce, but I'm very spiritual, uh-huh. and one of my favorite philosophers is Joseph Campbell. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of his works, you know, Hero with Thousand Faces. Oh, I'm a big hero journey fan. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so yeah. what I have to give you the analogy is to answer your question is, he was asked in an interview one time, what do you tell people that want to make a difference in the world? There's so many evil things, war, disease, this, that, the third. And he said, well, I have to take you back to the indigenous Native American days. They believe mm-hmm. that the world has always been a wasteland from its conception all the way to the end. There's, there's good, bad, destruction, good, evil in between. The only power we have as human beings is to be whatever we wish the world was. We have yeah. the power. Ooh. Ooh. That's kind of deep. <laughs> but it makes sense with the question, right? Yeah, no. I mean, it's like the only thing we can do is strive to be what we want it to be. And and mm-hmm. and whether we get there or not is not the point. It's that that needs to be the driving force. That's the most effective uh, yeah. way. And it just it's just about, you know, the Bruce's and the Vlad's inspiring more yeah. people to, to, to get into the fold. And I think that's how it goes about. You know, like you said, it won't happen overnight. But, you know, every day we're chipping away at it. Yeah. And as sort of cannabis has become more, I won't say adopted, because I think it's been adopted for a while, I guess, more public or more kind of open. I mean, how have, are there different types of people now coming into the space that, you know, is it, I guess, how is that changing? How, how is the kind of growth and, and, you know, new entrants, you know, new folks coming in, how is it changing things? And, and where do you see it as positive and where do you see it as problematic? Well, I'm going to tell you what I see as positive. See, as you know, Bruce, you know, there have been so many people from all walks of life. And um, now what I've been seeing in the last couple of years is, you know, CEOs, uh, Wall Street people, lawyers, doctors, politicians, whatever, that they all have consumed cannabis, but it's been sort of like the LGBT thing in the closet. And now they are starting to feel slowly but surely that they it won't affect their careers and you know there's things like my events that i used to do and other things going on where it's in in a classy fashionable way that cannabis is being presented now that they feel more comfortable coming out of the closet slowly but surely and like i said you know they've always probably consumed it but in the closet now people are more abrasive and more comfortable sharing that they are consumers. That's what I've yeah. seen in the last couple of years, especially here yeah. in New York. You know, you get to see a lot of the corporate people and now they, they feel more comfortable honing in and, 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 you know, owning their cannabis consumption. Yeah. And let's talk about the events a little bit, because I think that's a whole area of cannabis that's just so un 
sort of untapped or undeveloped at this point. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got products, we've got dispensaries, all this kind of stuff. But in terms of kind of the social event side of things, the experience side of things, like I just, and obviously a lot of it is kind of the structure and the legality and the regulatory issues. But talk to us about your kind of history of events, like what, when you started putting together these things, what, what were you focused on? How did you do it? What were the challenges? And then how has it evolved over time? Well, it was very simple. It was one of these things, like I told you, when my partner came, Bruce, yeah. where we knew that we would love an event that had no alcohol and was just mm-hmm. cannabis-based. And we just figured out that there's so many other people that are looking about that, that are looking for these kind of things. And then as we went along and saw that, you know, so many other people from all nationality, all religions, all backgrounds felt the same way, it became also, it became bigger than than just consuming cannabis. It felt like it was breaking borders from racism to classism to so many isms because it's the great equalizer where mm-hmm. me and you know, Bruce, people don't agree on much in society, but this is one of the things that they do. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely is a, a unifying red, <laughs> I think, in terms of many, many, many folks. And how, like, so in terms of the events, I mean, what's, I mean, I, how do you see, I mean, like for alcohol, we have bars and, you know, sports clubs, like we have all these kind of gathering spots for consumption on that side of the world. I mean, how do you see this playing out on the cannabis side of the world in terms of the types of, you know, consumption experiences you know, I mean, I've, I've heard of everything from, you know, kind of dinner clubs to, yeah, more of the party kind of things to more of kind of social gatherings, you know, conversational. I mean, what, how do you see this playing out as, you know, from a cultural, social and cannabis point of view? That's a very good question, Bruce. I want you to want to I want to go on record and tell everyone out there and yourself, Bruce, where you heard it first. All right, here we well, go. This is my prediction and my humble opinion in the future, when everything is said and done, let's say 10, 15, five years, whatever, whenever it comes to full social acceptance, federal legalization, et cetera, et cetera, the same way we had have nightlife with alcohol, we would have bud life mm-hmm. or cannabis life, meaning like places where people can consume cannabis. And I believe that it will be bigger than nightlife when it's all said and done and allowed to be do- done at its full potential. Yeah. That's my humble opinion. Meaning in comparison to alcohol. Yes, as far as like places where people gather, bars, nightclubs, the same scenarios, but with cannabis, it's going to end up, I believe, over yeah. time being a bigger market than alcohol nightlife. And it's interesting, like if I kind of think through, I mean, is, do you envision... Like a, a call it a current, you know, late night nightclub uh, kind of experience that is, you know, certainly centered around alcohol consumption right now, you know, bottles and clubs and things like that. It, does this just flip? Is this just, oh, well, people are now consuming cannabis rather than consuming alcohol? Or does consuming cannabis fundamentally change the dynamic? And it, it's not going to be the same experience because you know, cannabis is different, like a different kind of psychological experience. So therefore you're going to have a different kind of physical kind of environmental experience. How do you see that playing out? Well, I don't think that, um, they overlap as much as far as like, you know, one takes away from the other. I just believe that from my experience and my events and from my research that 
there are so many cannabis consumers and there will be so many more. And just the vibe when you take away the alcohol element and it's just cannabis, it's totally different. And there are so many people that want that instead of the other vibe. Yeah. And like I said, you know, that's still going to have its genre because it always has and it always will. But this, I just feel like this genre will be bigger on its own without yeah. having to take anything from the alcohol and nightlife industry because it's two separate, completely different scenarios and experiences. Yeah. Have you seen, you know, as you've looked out in the world and met with other entrepreneurs and companies, interesting cannabis companies, anything that is of note in terms of companies that are really kind of tackling this kind of cultural experience side of things rather than just kind of the product creating new edibles and stuff like that? I mean, have you seen anything of a note? Well, I have seen a lot. And this is my opinion. See, our my company, Bruce, is mostly a lifestyle cannabis company. Mm-hmm. And so many people, when we first started, didn't see the value in it because, you know, a lot of times uh, people are just, you know, so bottom line, like, you know, they just yeah. only understand tangible bottom line things for the moment. But as we know in the past, especially with certain things like this that are experiential and, uh, you know, and like a whole different experience, they... Um, you notice that the majority of the cannabis companies' brands specifically doing well are the culture-based ones, the cookies. Mm-hmm. The, the other ones might be doing well because of, you know, maybe like, you know, supply, demand, and otherwise. But I mean, driving force growth is what drives forces and growth to sales is culture and brands. And what you're, what I've, what I've been noticing is that those cookies type companies that are are really in tuned and ingrained in the culture and, you know, let's say like bang Viola, they Mm -hmm. are really thriving because at the end of the day, I always told people, they're like, why are you so focused on this? And, you know, you don't even think about the plant. I say, well, because my opinion is, Bruce, that in the future, cannabis will be commoditized. It will have no value, but my brand will. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're already starting to see that at some level. I mean, uh, particularly like in the hemp space, like it's, you know, you can, prices have dropped <laughs> like 80%, 90%. You know, but the whole thing is just the product itself becoming very commoditized and it's now becoming much more about brand and the associations and the kind of the niche kind of product you can create with it, not, not the raw product. Because that's like, you know, you can just, that is freely available and, and now getting pretty cheap. What goes into a good brand at this point, from your point of view, as you see cannabis mature? Any interesting brands, brands that you think are doing it particularly well from a product and from a lifestyle point of view? Yeah, like I said, you know, I mentioned a few. I think Bang Edible Company is doing a, go, a good job. I think yeah. Viola is. I think um, Cookies is. And this is what I believe that is there's a reason for yeah, that. The yeah. reason that I believe is, Bruce, that um the corporate cannabis, you know, powers that be had an idea. They said, um, well, we're gonna come in, like let's say ten years ago, fifteen years ago, we're gonna clean up cannabis and make it this way that we view it. And I think that has failed horribly because instead of merging with the culture that it has existed for eighty years 
and merging that with the new ways and, you know, finding some kind of synergy to just like sweep that under the rug and come in like, no, we're cannabis starts now from 15 mm-hmm. years on when we got involved. That thing has been a huge mistake. And the numbers have shown that because so many companies have failed. I believe that that's part of Happy Monkey's mission, where we have become the nexus between corporate and culture. And I believe that they're both needed, Bruce. I believe the mm-hmm. corporate is needed for their business acumen, their funding. The culture is also needed for their understanding of the plant and understanding of the consumer. And so they're both not working together. We'll never have a fully optimal industry. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned something earlier in, a, in an episode I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about, which is the whole East Coast, West Coast difference. And yes, West Coast has had kind of a quote-unquote head start, at least on the legal market side of things. If you were to kind of generalize or summarize the difference between East Coast and West Coast in terms of the world of cannabis right now, what are the differences? What are you noticing? How would you describe them to somebody who isn't familiar with cannabis culture? Well, that's been part of our goal, like I said, you know, through media to really give people an understanding of the difference. And I don't think it's specifically necessarily only cannabis. It's just a different lifestyle, you know? Mm -hmm. So for example, like we've been able to show people in New York, nobody's on a beach or on a skateboard or on a surfboard. You know, people are smoking in their house, in their car, in their basement, in their rooftop, Mm -hmm. on the lunch break in front of the office building. It's just all these different things because we're such a metropolitan city and, you know, so many different uh, seasons and all these things that people just didn't know how we've been able to show people how this rolls over to the cannabis lifestyle, right? Because Mm -hmm. like I said, you know, it's totally different. You know, California is more spread out. We're more on top of each other, more, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. They have beautiful year, weather all year round. We we have, you know, <laughs> we don't. rougher seasons. <laughs> so all of this plays a role into yeah. the way you consume your cannabis and the way the perspective is. And of course, let's give it, let's go to another one, Bruce, you know. I'm sure you've been to California, my people of California over there. Mm. Everybody sort of like, do, 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 do. So mm. in the neighborhood mm-hmm. over here, everybody's hustling the bus. We got to go, we got to go, we got to yeah. go. So all that plays into the lifestyle of the way that they consume cannabis, view cannabis, and, you know, live yeah. their life and how, what they're looking for as far as like, give you an example, like, you know, I noticed that a lot of people, you know, you know, blue collar people, white collar people that, you know, have to have intense jobs. Mm-hmm. They want a smoke a sativa because they have to be able to function all day. And, yeah. you know, maybe in the can whatever, you know, it's just like there's just a lot of different variables. And it starts with the whole totally different life that you live from the yeah. East Coast to the West Coast. It's just that nobody had dissected it, how it affects the consumption of the, the cannabis consumer. Yeah. yeah. And so let's talk more about Happy Monkey in terms of your strategy, like where you're going with the business. So, I mean, I know you're doing a couple of different, you've got a couple of different platforms going now. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and what the direction is at this point. Basically, you know, to make a long story short, to summarize for you, we are basically becoming like, you know, the heart and the vessel for the the New York City cannabis culture from everything from corporate to advocacy to everything because we basically like created one of the biggest platforms here and our job by doing that we feel like it's our duty to highlight 
all the other people doing amazing things in the Northeast. Yeah. And they give you some short-term, big-term things that we have in the works. So, mm -hmm. of course, whenever New York comes around and it goes wreck or they add flower to medical, we definitely want to get retail, delivery, you know, get involved at that capacity. Right now, Bruce, we are approaching our one year soon, like I believe it's in December, where we started as a newsletter once a month. Now it evolved into an e-magazine. And for our one year anniversary, we're going to do a limited run of hard copies. And we've had people contribute from writers from Rolling Stone to writers from the Boston Globe and et cetera, et cetera. So That's great. We just like, uh, and then um, when I have all this COVID social distancing things gets figured out a little bit more, <laughs> we also plan on doing like a Happy Monkey Music Festival. Yeah. So, and and um, tell me about the connection you see between cannabis and music. Because it's, you know, there is, there's certainly a connection, but I'm curious your sort of view or your take on it in terms of how these two kind of industries are interlaced. Well, let's start with the creative process, Bruce. You know, in my platforms, in my podcast, I inter I've interviewed a lot of artists. Also, yeah. you know, I have dibbled and dabbled in the music industry and I have the fortune to speak to a lot of artists. And I would say 90% of all of them, from the highest to the lowest part of their creative process when they're in the studio is smoking cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that says it all where a lot of the amazing music that we've all loved and heard got inspired and kicked in the creative juices while consuming cannabis. Yeah. yeah. And and so what else are you kind of looking to do with Happy Monkey? I mean, if, if you look out a couple of years, you know, what is what does success look like? What impact do you have? What would the programming look like? I mean, how, how are you evolving things? And then, of course, the end all be all would be what I told you our consumption is. Whenever yeah. the times catch up to what we know how to do best, which uh -huh. is what I mentioned earlier, which is consumption lounge yeah. and events, whenever they come around and really figure that out on a regulatory scale, we would love to have a national, maybe global franchise of consumption lounges because we feel like we can do that definitely better than anybody or at least up to par with anybody. So that is definitely a long-term goal for yeah. us. Is there any model? I mean, is this like you want to be the Starbucks of cannabis or is this like the, I mean, what would be the, yeah, I'm, I'm being facetious, but like what's the, the model? I would say I would want to be like maybe like the Tao group of cannabis. Ooh, okay. All right. So sign real sense. signature places, you know, each one a little bit different based on the location, but still yeah, a yeah. theme that connects them all. There you go. Yeah. Ooh. I'm excited. That's when you, when you're going to open. Because they're not, <laughs> they're not even close to that, but, uh, yeah. In the meantime, like I said, you know, we're just going to keep on because I think the biggest mistake, Bruce, that I see so many companies and people make is, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to get 10, 20, 30, 50x overnight. Wow. Yeah. And they come up with these crazy evaluations and trajectories and all these things. And my opinion is that what my approach is, is that instead of like having that perspective, I'm here to grow, to help the industry grow and grow with it as best as possible because this industry is in its infancy. So, so many people crash and burn trying to outgrow the industry yeah. instead of helping it grow. Yeah. Interesting. And so you've got the newsletter, you've got a podcast going. Tell me about the podcast. Yeah. So the podcast is, like I said, you know, where we give people information and, and where we, we, like I said, cross that bridge between 
corporate and, and culture. So yeah. for example, I actually got a got a, a podcast. I'm interviewing somebody tonight. Tonight uh-huh. is uh these really talented group of artists that are basically, you know, rapping about cannabis. Mm-hmm. So we have that, but then you know, you go back to one of our episodes and we have the CEO of the Canadian Securities Exchange. Yeah. So through that, since we have both these demographics watching, like I said earlier, it's the person from corporate learns about cannabis culture. The person that's from cannabis culture learns about cannabis corporate. Yeah. And and that's the bridge that we're trying to, you know, merge right there to the best of our ability. Yeah. yeah. You know, you mentioned a couple of the, you know, kind of I guess things going on in the world right now. And how have you seen, you know, pandemic kind of impacting, you know, cannabis, the cannabis industry, any, anything that any, I guess, short term and long term implications that this has on how you think, see things playing out? Or, you know, it's kind of we figure out how to continue regardless of the stay at home orders. Well, it's been a, there's been a lot of pros and cons. So the cons have been, you know, no, no more gathering, social distancing. You know, you've had to really get very creative this year to really stay afloat. But then the pros to that is that I believe, first of all, you know, unfortunately, because of this horrible crisis, you know, cannabis has been deemed essential in some places for the first time in history. Yeah, I believe that. Because, you know, they say, Bruce, that uh, pressure either busts pipes and makes diamonds. So Ooh, I like that. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> I believe that it's it's put the cannabis industry through a strainer, through a filter, yeah. and only the best diamonds are going to come out on the other yeah. side, which long term is really a good thing because me and you know there were so many people that were yeah. just after the industry just to you know use it and abuse it and it's good right now if you don't have love and passion i don't think you'll have the the stamina to stay in it because me and you know bruce right now financially 90 percent of the time it's not gonna cut it you really Mm -hmm. have to have your heart in it to make it through the trials and tribulations that it takes so i think long term that's gonna have a lot of benefits for the cannabis. Third of all, I want to mention, Bruce, that yeah. aside from COVID, the other thing that you haven't mentioned, which uh-huh. I believe is going to have a strong role in the cannabis industry, is the events that have happened in the in the recent couple of months as far as like the George Floyd, yeah. Breonna Taylor, and all these things. And the reason I mention is that, that people are really waking up to what you know mm-hmm. marginalized people and communities and people of color go through. And I think that's going to overlap into the cannabis industry because me and you know, Bruce, that so many people, you know, just do the, well, I'm going to put a black box. And I don't think that's going to cut it yeah, anymore. Exactly. I believe that, you know, companies are really going to be put to the test. What are you doing? How many people on your board are of color and mm-hmm. so forth and so forth. And I think long term, it's going to be good for the industry because I hope that these companies realize that it's just not morally correct, but it's going to end up being financially correct. Because if you don't have a person of each demographic that consumes cannabis, you're really doing yourself a disservice as a company because you really need to understand every single type of person to maximize your full potential and profits. So a company that has a Uh, a gay person, a person of color, white, yellow, blue, black, 
mm-hmm. is probably going to do better than a, a person that doesn't because they can target all those demographics because they understand yeah. them. Yeah, it's fascinating, and, and I mean, you know, I, you know, we we can talk a little bit about it, which is the the history of cannabis when it comes to you know racial injustice and the, and the fact that we're still dealing with you know a, unfortunately a legacy and you know a prison population who is unfortunately mostly people of color and you know are there because of you know the cannabis you know the cannabis world you know cannabis offenses you know possession distribution things like that and it's, it's I mean I guess do you feel how do we correct this <laughs> like it's it's a complicated problem but it's one that I think we have to solve from the cannabis industry I mean not only from an industry point of view because we have a lot of folks that actually highly knowledgeable and could be quite beneficial to the industry to have you know gainfully employed and working in cannabis but also just from correcting wrongs from the past like what's the I mean is there a solution here or is there a process that we can go down there is Bruce and I'm a big believer Bruce that we can't change the past but we can change the future mm-hmm. so like I mentioned you know you know everybody that's in the cannabis industry it's not their fault all the, my people and people of color have been through but it is your responsibility to have empathy and understand that like I said you know not only have communities of color been affected the most but the combination of that is that people of color understand the plant and the culture more than anybody because they've been around it and have been through all the trials and tribulations so the way to change that is that like I said, you know, you can't snap your fingers and change it overnight, but I just think that it's ridiculous for people of color that have been in this industry, yeah. in the legacy market for 80 years, mm-hmm. and now, currently, 2020, 93% of the industry is Caucasian-owned. I think that, like I said, you know, you don't have, like, reparations for what happened, but you have to correct the future. Yeah, let's, let's at least stop it from going forward. Like, we can, we can figure out the past a little later, but yeah. Yeah, like, you know, make, make it make it equal, like, as far as, like, opportunities and, like I said, you know, it's not always every... Some people can be owners, some people can't. The one that can't, they can be a COO, they can yeah. be a grower, they can be this, just like, you know, make it fair and balanced as, as much as you can, you know? And yeah. like I said, you know, they always look at it like strictly an empathy thing. That's smart business strategy. Yeah. I strongly believe that the companies that really do this is going to be smart business because yeah. you're going to be able to understand things that another company that's strictly Caucasian is not. Yeah. And, 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 and do you see, I mean, I, I don't know how much you've looked into some of these, you know, social equity programs that some of these states have been trying to put in place when they put in their cannabis policies in the cannabis markets. But I, mean, I guess, is there anything that you see that's, you know, that is worth or that we could do more of from uh, regulatory or kind of how we set up the industry point of view? Because I, I mean, uh, people have made various efforts and I think a lot of them have, you know, been well-intentioned but not very effective, um, you know, and I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly where are we missing the mark on some of those things if you've seen anything that's been, that you have felt has been good or has been effective that you would like to see more of? Well, the first thing that I've seen is that the social equity programs have not been effective at yeah. all yeah. because it's like they're set up for failure. Yeah. So what I've seen is, Bruce, you're a person of color. We grant you a license and nothing else, no structure, no funding, nothing else. So here I come, I'm a VC and I just take over 90% and 95% of the company and just yeah. keep you as a face, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. It's really so, kind of a facade. So I believe that I've seen working is, like I mentioned, you know, I think, I don't know if it's Chicago, certain places they have, Illinois, where, Mm -hmm. you know, you have requirements like 
you know, like I mentioned, like your board, you know, you have to have a certain amount of diversity. You know, you, you have to have a different structure as far as funding, not just the grants of the license. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because no, that, that is the major issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let me give you an example, like Florida. Florida, you have to be basically vertical. So what yep. does that mean, Bruce? That means that you have to have from the grow to the process to the retail. So if you have a you don't have a hundred million dollars to play, you can't play the game at all. And we know who the only people, unfortunately, the way society is set up to have a hundred million dollars what they look like to play, you know? Yeah, yeah. So exactly. it's stuff like that, you know, where systemically we have to we can't change the entire US law system, but this industry is in its infancy. We do have the ability to make tweaks to make it fair and and equal for for yeah. more of the people of color you know like i yeah. said you know to the best of our ability i really believe that that can be done yeah and we still have the opportunity because like i said it's in its infancy now yeah no i think it, it's going to be interesting and very important you know in the coming you know months and, and quarters and years as we continue to develop the industry is, is finding ways of yeah creating kind of that equal playing field and making sure that we're we're representative and we're equitable in in how we structure this let's talk about another one bruce yeah. that so many people go over that is related to this how is it that cannabis is deemed essential and there are so many corporate people from even ex-Republicans, conservative Republicans that were totally staunch against cannabis profiting off of it yeah. to there's still people sitting inside jail cells yeah. for cannabis looking on the news, Bruce, that cannabis is essential yeah. and maybe some of the lawmakers that help put them there profiting off of this. That's another yeah. one we have to correct. That's yeah. why we've, we've worked with, uh, with I don't know if you know, Steve D'Angelo and oh, yeah. his brother, um, Last Prisoner Project. Mm-hmm. We, we hosted an event for them, a fundraiser for The Last Prisoner Project, and we raised about forty or $50,000 for this organization because that is one of the biggest like shames in cannabis that travesties. I see. I'll call it a one travesty. Of the, one of yeah. the biggest travesties, you yeah. know? And I think that, you know, we need to bring awareness to that. Yeah, we, really yeah, we had... Um, move forward. We had Kate Bell from Marijuana Policy Project on a while ago, and and you know talked about the need. I mean, not not only you know not only does it make sense from a business point of view and things like that, but just from a, a moral, ethical, you know, social point of view, it's like how can we look at ourselves in a mirror in this industry and not be trying to correct this injustice because it is a you know it is it's illogical and it's yeah it's a travesty, right? So I'm curious to see how this plays out. I mean, I think there's obviously pandemic is kind of throwing shifts and priorities and things like that, but certainly as we kind of, I think states are going to push more adoption to try to make up for revenues. I think we're going to have a lot of more pressure on the federal side to deschedule. And I think it's going to bring all this to a froth and it will be very interesting to see how some of these things resolve. So we'll, we can do a follow-up episode in, in a couple of months and sort of see how it's going. But yeah, I think it's one of the key issues in cannabis right now. Definitely, definitely. We have to, you know, not forget about the fallen soldiers, Bruce, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. Vlad, this is another pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Happy Monkey, what's the best way to get that information? On all platforms, Happy Monkey, Happy Monkey with a U H A P P Y M U N K E Y. The most generalized place they can get a lot of information at is happymonkey.com. Check out our 
e-magazine. We have on YouTube, Happy Monkey TV. We have so many segments from Valid Not Valid, Happy Hour with Vlad, Puffs with Puff. So we're really trying to fill that gap, as I said, Bruce, where, you know, the biggest issue is lack of information. And we're just trying to be, you know, what we wish, you know, everything else was. Like I mentioned every earlier, Bruce, to the best of our ability. Yeah, a pleasure. And I will make sure that all of those links and the information is in the show notes so people can get access to that. Highly encourage people to go check out the content, the magazine, the podcast. And it was uh, great to have you on. I know we took a little while to get this uh, together, but it has paid off in space. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be on the program today. And I had a really good time. Well, next, we got to get you on our podcast. Bruce. Ooh, yeah. That's next on the list. We, we will do it. On, we got to get you on the boulevard. That's what we call it. When we <laughs> I love it. But, but, I, but it's been an honor and a pleasure. I want to thank you for everything you do for the industry and the community, for forming people, keeping people up to date on the current state of cannabis, and for having me and Happy Monkey be a part of it. We really appreciate you, Bruce. It's my pleasure. The honor is mine. Thank you for taking the time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.